1 Corinthians 15, we'll begin reading in verse 1. You got it, say so. And it reads like this. It says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles, then the last of all, he was seen by me also as by one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles who, I, who am unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was within me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believe. Lord, we thank you so much for your word today. We thank you for the reminder, Lord, that you are risen, that you are not defeated by death, that you are seated upon the throne of glory, that you are the lamb that is worthy of all praise, all glory, all honor and adoration. We thank you for the scriptures that remind us, Lord, of this resurrection fact. And today, Holy Spirit, we ask you to speak to our hearts. We ask you to reveal your truth unto us in a deeper way. We pray, Lord God, that you would captivate our minds, captivate our hearts, and above all things, give us the faith to respond to you, Lord God, in obedience today. We pray that you be glorified. I pray that I would decrease and that you would increase, Lord God. Have your way in our lives. In Jesus' good name, someone said, you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. So if you don't have an outline, raise your hand, please. We want to make sure that you get an outline. You can follow along with the sermon. Um, just keep your hand up, and the ushers will bring you that outline. As I often encourage you, the outlines are good, so you can first and foremost follow along in the um, beginning of the sermon with me. Second of all, they're good because you can write notes, and I think that that's important because I doubt that you or I or anyone else is going to remember every single thing that is said, and it's good to write down important stuff. And then also, another reason why I believe that it's good for you to have these outlines is because there are some questions in there for you, such as what do you believe the Lord was speaking to you, asking you how you're going to respond in faith this week. Those are good questions for you to meditate on and to also be able to help somebody else in their faith. I believe that we're supposed to be makers of disciples. We're supposed to be disciple makers. And so one way that we do that is by helping others grow in their faith. And you can do that simply by sitting down with them and talking to them about what you are learning. And so if they're not here to hear the preaching, you ain't got to get up, scream, and hoop, and holler. Hello. Right? But you can share the truth that you are hearing through the preaching of the Word of God. And so we're going to continue on here um, this morning. And, and I just want to ask you to give God a hand of praise for all of the specials today. They did a great, great job. Great job. We appreciate dance team, worship team. You guys did an awesome job today. And so today we celebrate, if you look at your outline here, today we celebrate the second most significant day in history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Only second to his birth because without his birth, there would be no sinless life, sacrificial death, and victorious resurrection. And so I said that a little bit earlier today, and I firmly believe that. Today is a day, I wrote it on my Facebook, that today's a day that changed history, right? If Jesus was not born, right, and we we don't know the day, so it's not necessarily December 25th. We celebrate it on that day. But nonetheless, we don't know exactly when he was born. But without his birth, there wouldn't have been the rest of this. But the resurrection is huge. Because the resurrection points us to fulfilled prophecy, fulfilled scripture. It points us to who God is. It points us to the only one who has power over death. Jesus is not the only one who is resurrected, right? But he is the only one who is still living. Are you here? 
If you read your Bible, you'll learn that there were other people that were resurrected. There were other people who died and were brought back to life. But every one of them met the last day. They breathed their last breath. And our God didn't breathe his last breath. He breathed the last breath on the cross, went down into the tomb, and then he rose again, never again to be defeated by death. He's seated on the throne in glory, and so the resurrection reminds us of that. If you look at your outline here, second paragraph, there are many skeptics who doubt the existence of God, the identity of Jesus, and the resurrection. However, God is not intimidated by skepticism, nor should we be. Did you hear that? God is not intimidated by the skeptics. God is not intimidated by your friends who say, oh, your God doesn't exist. God is not intimidated by your friends who say, well, yeah, that that God of the Bible is not the real God. God is not intimidated by any of that. He's not fearful of that. You want to know why? He's the one who created all things. Hello. He's the one who said, let there be and there was. He's the one who created everything out of nothing. He is the originator of the real Big Bang Theory. Hello, somebody. Just not the way that the world portrays it and those who think that they're smarter than God portray it. But here's the thing. He's not, he's not intimidated by the skeptics because the truth is that, that God wants us to do what? He wants us to walk by faith but not to be fools. Hello. He wants us to, 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 to communicate to them. God is not intimidated by them, and neither should we. we neither should we. we. Hello, somebody. Don't, don't we. we, okay? Don't do that right now. Amen. It is the goal and effort of the enemy. Look at your outline here. It is the goal and the effort of the enemy to create doubt in the hearts of men with regards to God and his word, while God offers us his time-tested and proven word to stand upon. Understand this. The enemy wants to make you doubt God. The enemy wants to make you doubt the existence of God. The enemy wants to make you, ex- make you doubt who the Bible says Jesus is. But God has given us a word that is tested through time. Listen, man, people try to talk about the scriptures all, you know, and try to, try to debate the scriptures and denounce the scriptures. But I want you to know something. These scriptures, now, I don't know about this. Now, some of you guys are more history buffs than I am. And, you know, some of you guys watch, you know, different programs than I, than I watch. But I was watching a program, and they were talking about the art archaeologists and you know they found all of the old all of the old manuscripts and manuscripts of scripture and and this is about a year ago or something like that and what they had come to realize is that as they as they translated all of these different now these are old manuscripts that have been dated different dates but they're writings of the scriptures and what they found is that in their translation of all of these scriptures there may be a word or two that might be different here but the message remains the same are you hearing me so this is important for you to get because people get caught up whether well, the King James Version, the right version, New King, New King James Version, the right version, the English Standard Version, the right version. And then there's other people like, well, the message is definitely not the right version and blah, 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 right? So we got all these arguments about what version is the version. Here's what I want you to understand. The scriptures weren't written in English. Hello. They weren't written in Spanish. Hello. I'm just saying. Have you ever heard somebody translate, like, you know, when, when someone's preaching a message and you heard someone translate from English to Spanish, does it always come out picture perfect? You have a good translator, though. You know what he's going to do? He's going to translate the thing the best way that he can to bring out the truth. And there's some words, I mean, when you look at your Bible, for anybody who studies the Bible, and I have no problem explaining this to you, when you study your Bible, you'll see there's some words that are written in Hebrew that one English word, two English, they have to write a sentence to try to explain what one word means. Because it's so difficult. But here's what I want you to get. When God inspired the scriptures, he spoke the scriptures. And what God has done is he has allowed his word to go through the test. He's allowed his word to experience tried. And people, listen to me. Hear me when I say this. Many have tried to disprove God. You know what they did? They said, we're going to dig into this Bible. We're going to look at this history. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to disprove this God. And you want to know what? All of these people that I've, that I've known about that have done that, you know what they've all ended up doing? They, they've done one of two things. Either they have denied the truths they found or they've written books about the truth they found. Are you hearing me? They've either said, oh, no, this can't be, and they've denied the truths that are there, or they've written books like A Case for Christ. Pure atheist. This one guy, I mean, Lee Strobel is the guy. He got, you know, you know how he got saved? Because his wife was a Christian. He was like, I don't want her to be a Christian. So I'm going to disprove her God, and that way she will stop following Jesus. You know what he is? He's a pastor today. You can't disprove God. If you really want to know him, he's going to let you know him. 
If you really want to walk with him, he's going to help you to do that third paragraph here. We can and should rest assured that the resurrection is not only possible, but also provable. God calls us, I said that, provable. God calls us to walk by faith, not by sight. But hear me, faith without substance is foolishness, and God has never been made a fool of. God doesn't want anybody in here to be a fool. Are you here? God doesn't want you to be a fool. God wants you to know what you believe. He wants you to stand firm upon what you believe. Now, now that does not mean, I want you to know something. Any, hear me when I say this, any belief system that you choose to adhere to requires faith. If you decide you're going to be an atheist, you decide you're not going to believe in God, you decide you're going to, whatever, you are going to take a step of faith because there needs to be faith for you to believe any of that stuff. Hello. What I'm saying is you're going to have faith regardless, but I think you should put your faith in the one who created all things. I think you should put your faith in the word of God, the place where God shows us who he is. So let's see how we can prove this. And here's the big idea for the day. The fact of the resurrection calls for a total surrender of our lives to the risen Savior. I'll say that again. The fact of the resurrection calls for a total surrender of our lives in the risen Savior, to the risen Savior. If Jesus really rose, and I, and I repeat this over and over again, the reason why you have people like Lee Strobel, you know, people like Josh McDowell, the reason why these people, they, they set out to disprove God, and the reason why they now write books, and they now preach, and they now teach, and they now become these great advocates for the gospel is because they came to know a truth, and you cannot experience the truth of God without responding to it with a total life surrender. And so what happens is if Jesus really rose, then that requires us to do something. Because he's seated on the throne and he's calling us to what? To obedience to his word, to obedience to the scriptures. So repeat this after me. Say, the gospel is the central message of the entire Bible. The gospel is the central message of the entire Bible. What I mean by that is when we read these scriptures here, let's look at verses 1 through 4, and I want to let you know today, we have, it's Easter Sunday, and I, and I know that, you know, it's a special high holy day, amen, and we, we all get excited about coming to church. I have 58 verses to go over today. Somebody say amen. amen. We're going to have a good time, but I promise you, you will get out in time for lunch. You know why? Because lunch is going to wait for you. Amen, 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 glory to God. You will get out of here. You'll be out of here in time to eat, glory to God. I don't know what time that'll be, but we're going to go through these scriptures together, and we're going to look at them. I'm not going to keep you for too long, but I'll keep you long enough, hopefully, for you to see the truth of scripture. Let's look at verses 1 through 4 here. It says, moreover, brethren, I'm going to really try to roll through these quickly, but I want you to pay attention. Moreover, my brethren, I declare to you the gospel. Say the gospel. Which I preached to you, which also you received, in which you stand. So notice those three things. He preached this message, they received the message, they stand in the message. He says, by which also you are saved. And so what saves us? The gospel. The gospel. Say the gospel. The gospel is what saves us, right? So we, we, we understand this, by which you are saved, if, if you do a bunch of good stuff. Is that what it said? If you're a good person. If you give tithes and offerings, if you come to church every Sunday, know what he said? He said, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you, first of all, and, and, and notice there in the in New King James Version, it says, first of all, and in the ESV, it says, of first importance, and th there's different translations there. The point is the word is first there. It means something that is of first importance. That which I also receive, that, listen, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures y'all help me out here now and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the okay so we see the scriptures the death of jesus the resurrection of jesus are all in accordance to what the scriptures according to the scriptures the gospel is the central message of the entire bible i want you to get this the most important thing that we have to understand is the gospel, which is what? It is that God created all things. He is a good God, a benevolent God, a merciful God, a gracious God, an all-powerful God, an all-knowing God. He creates all things. All things are good. There is no sin. There is no evil in man. There is sin in Satan, and we know that because he was cast out of heaven, and he 
was that serpent that was in the garden, and he comes and he tempts man. Man does what? Man sins against God, not because he had a sinful nature at the moment, but simply because he decided he would be more important than God. He decided that he was going, and this is our major problem. Can I tell you the major problem for everyone in this room here? Everyone in this room has a major problem. It's called worship of self. Some of you recognize it more than others. Some of you don't, don't, don't realize it. See, I, have to, I realize it. You know, sometimes I sit, I sit there and, you know, I look at myself in the mirror, and I, and I find my, and I have to rebuke myself sometimes. Like, bro, stop looking at yourself. Hello. I'm just saying, right, because I'm looking. I care about this. I ain't got no hair, glory to God. If I had hair, it would be messed up. That's why God had to take my hair and be like, son, come on. You're going to take too much time in the mirror, glory to God. So ultimately, right, I'm just saying, right, that, I mean, we worship ourselves. You know, we think about, you know, nobody. I, how many of y'all just jumped out of bed today, just threw on some clothes and said, I don't care what nobody thinks about me? All right, Anthony raised his hand. He said, I don't care what no one thinks. He's like, whatever. Because Anthony's like, I got it going on. See, but that, that's, his, that's his mindset, right? He's like, I look good in whatever I put on, so it don't matter. Glory to God. Just playing. I'm joking, man. I'm joking. But here's the thing. You raised your hand, so how do you use it? But here's, here's the deal. Most of us, right, 99% of us in this room, right, we didn't wake up and just say, man, I don't care what anybody thinks about me. You thought about how you're going to look. Even if you look crazy, you, you thought about that. Like, I'm, I'm meant to look crazy. I mean, that's just the way we are. And it's because we are worshipers of ourselves. Now, does that mean because I want to look nice that I'm an idolater of myself, like I'm worshiping myself? Not necessarily. Not. I'm, listen, don't walk around looking busted. Don't test the theory tomorrow and be like, yo, from now on, I'm getting out of bed. I'm not thinking about anything. I'm just going to walk out the house. You'll you be looking crazy. People don't think you're crazy now. But here's the deal. We all have worship issues, right? We worship ourselves. That is a great issue within the heart of mankind. And that is the reason why Eve decided she was going to eat from the fruit. And you know what Adam didn't do? Adam didn't come over like a real holy husband and say, babe, you have just sinned. Let's repent before the Lord. He was like, I've been wanting to eat from that tree too. And now I can get me some. Hello. Didn't nothing happen to you? You're still beautiful. You're still amazing. He to the tree. He sins. So the gospel is God is good. Man is created good. But man sins. And sin separates us from God. This is the gospel message. Now hear me. This is all of scripture. This is what all of scripture is trying to communicate. And so God, and so man sins. And then what does God do? God sends his son, not plan B, plan A. Jesus is always plan A. He sends his son in order to do what? In order to deal with the divide that is there. In order to deal with our death problem. In order to deal with the fact that you're going to die and you're going to spend eternity in hell. That's a reality if you don't know God. That you are separated from God in this life and you will not experience a life that God wants you to experience. And then you're going to experience his physical death. And so all of us die physically, but we don't die inevitably and, and, and just, just we're done. But we go to be with God and then we, we will talk about in a moment about this resurrected body. But see, this death problem, this separation problem, God deals with in his son, Jesus. Jesus dies in our place, and that way we can do what? We can put our faith in him. We can put our hope in him. We can put our trust in him. We can turn from our sin, and we can live a life that brings glory to God and be given a new identity in him. That's what he does. That's the gospel message. And what Paul is saying is that he died for our, he didn't say he died for some sins. He said he died for our sins. Say our sins. In other words, it is personal. It is us. He died for me. He died for you. He didn't die for your neighbor only. Yeah, he died for them for sure, but he died for your sin. And so you have to recognize this because he said, I preach this message. You receive this message and you stand in this message. And so what happens is we have to be those people who hear the gospel and realize that this is the message that matters. I love to put it this way. I can't remember. I think it's, uh, you know, I can't remember who it was. But anyway, somebody said basically the all of scripture is, is, is all of this. What God did, how man messed it up, and what God's doing to make it right. That's the gospel. What God did, how man messed it up, and what God is doing to make it right. And so he's making it right. He's bringing forth his kingdom. And so in the gospel, we stand, right? We're secured. Our salvation, like we looked at earlier, is secured in the one who procured it for us, which is Jesus. We must hear it. We must receive it. In other words, as you're hearing this message, you're making a choice here, right? Because there's two people in the room. They're the ones that believe in Jesus. They're the ones that have put their faith in him. And they're the ones who have not. And here's the deal. If you put your faith in him, you're hearing this message. And my hope is that you are encouraged by the fact that your God came and died for you. Amen? But if you're not a believer, then you're either going to do one of two things. You're going to reject the message and say, I don't need that Jesus. And you're going to walk out of here the same way you came in. Or you are going to say, hold on a second. I realize that I am separated from God. 
I realized that I'm not good enough to save myself. I realized that Jesus had to come and die for me. And not just that, but he rose again, showing that he has all power over all things. And so I have to stand in that. And, and, and standing in it means what? It means to hold fast to it, to continue to grow in our faith. That's what we have to do. Second thing here, say this with me. The resurrection is factual based upon multiple eyewitness accounts. I want you to realize this because we're going to look at this list here. I just read it a moment ago. But we're going to look at this list of people, right? And, and, and we'll, we'll read it real quick. But I want you to realize this. This is the most extensive list that is given in the New Testament. And there are two things that, that, that stand out to me glaringly in the passage here. Two things that for me, if I'm sitting back and I'm a skeptic, I'm going to say, hold on a second. Let me think about this for a moment. Now, first of all, let's read what Paul says in verse 5. He says, and, and, and he says, and that he was seen by Cephas, that's Peter. Then by the 12, after that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once. Now look at this. This is what stands out to me glaringly. Of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. Now, if you're taking notes, if you're highlighting, you know, don't highlight in your neighbor's Bible and don't, you know, write in it. But here's the thing. Verse 6 stands out. Let me tell you why. Because when Paul is writing this, he's not saying dead people are the one who saw Jesus. There, there's some people that are dead that saw Jesus. But what he is saying is, you can go and talk to them yourself. At this moment, at this time, you can have a conversation with them. At this moment, at this time, you can go and find out about this resurrected Jesus from over 500 people. That's what he's saying. That's pretty glaring to me. I mean, that's, that, that, that's pretty big information, right? Verse 6 goes, after that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Now, look at this. Then last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. Now, this is glaring, right? But it gets even more glaring. Now, look what he says. Verse 9, for I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Now, let's pause for a moment because this is glaring as well because you have a guy here who, if you read the, the history in the book of Acts, you know what he was? He was the guy who, when they stoned the first martyr, which was Stephen, when they were killing him, you know where he was? He was standing there, and he was saying, go ahead, that's good. He was like, kill him because he is a believer in Jesus. This is who wrote this book. This is a guy that hated Christians. This is a guy who had letters. He was on his way, you know, to Damascus. He was going to go and, put, go and lock up Christians for declaring Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophecies. Now, now, pay attention because this guy is the one who's writing this. And when he points out here that he was a persecutor of the church, this is obviously something that was killing him because he repeats it in more than one place. It's one of those things that's like that one sin that just overwhelmed his life. But he continued to point that out. He continued to say, man, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. Because, see, this, this stands out. Because this isn't just, you know, some guy. This wasn't like one of the 12 apostles, okay? This is a different guy. This is a guy that God reveals himself to, a person born out of due time. In other words, he wasn't there when, when the apostles were walking, walking around with Jesus. He wasn't there at that time. And Jesus reveals himself. And so you have two things here that stand out that are pretty, that, that, that are pretty glaring here. Now, here's the thing. All of these, this is the, the, the biggest list that we have here. All of these witnesses point us to the undeniable fact. Say fact. Not, not, not like, you know, some idea. The undeniable fact of the resurrection. You have eyewitnesses that during the time this was written. Now, listen. You're like, well, I can't go talk to them today. Can I say, I'm, I'm going to say this is going to offend you. You're irrelevant at this moment, okay? Who you can talk to today is irrelevant because the fact is there is history written down here for you to look at, okay? I said you need to have some faith, you know? It's kind of like, you know, you, you just believe, right? You know, your mom told you this guy's your grandfather. You just believe that. Well, that's your great-great-grandfather. You just believe that, right? You just accept that as being the truth, right? And so here's the thing. I'm not asking you just to accept something. I'm asking you to look at what is written down for us to look at because Paul, trust me, we're going to see in a moment, these people were trying to argue against the resurrection of Jesus. That's what they were trying to do. That's what this whole chapter is about. It's about declaring, listen, the resurrection is real. And he lays the foundation and he says, look, I could, you could go talk to these people if you like. But then he used himself as an example. And so the first thing I want you to get is this. Obviously, we looked at these things that stand out glaringly. But here's one thing. No one, listen to me now. Think about this. No one would have died in martyrdom for a falsely resurrected Savior. 
Now listen, I'm going to tell you something. You might have stood up rah-rah for Jesus like for a little bit. Everything was all good while people were saying, oh, no, your Jesus ain't resurrected, right? But the moment that they're about to kill you, you're like, time out. Joking. You're right. You would have not been like willing to die, willing to be stoned for a savior that was dead. Can I tell you something? People are still dying today for this resurrected savior. The lives that are being changed around this world are further proofs that Jesus is alive. But what I want you to get is during these times, right, people were dying for the gospel's sake. It's, 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 it's written down that almost every single one of the apostles was killed um, in, you know, in church history. They were all killed in, in some way as martyrs. John was the only one, you know, he was dumped in, in, in boiling oil and the guy didn't die. I would be like, I wish I would have died. Hello. He's the only one, but all the other ones, they gave their life for a lie? No. You can believe that if you want, but you're crazy. Leave it right there. The second thing is this. Paul would have never pointed to living witnesses outside of the other apostles if there were none. First of all, people wouldn't have died. Second of all, Paul wouldn't have anyone to point to. And the last one is Paul would have never become a leading witness to, 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 to a dead, false messiah. Listen, read your Bible. You know, you know what I love about the Bible? What I love about the scriptures is that, you know, it's not afraid to give you this history of this guy named Paul. His name was Saul. And you read the book of Acts. Just read the book of Acts. Go look at how, look at how Saul was. Don't just take his word for it over here. Read the history. Look at what it is communicating about him. This guy really hated the church. He would have never, never, the reason why, I mean, the, the reason why the guy had to have that type of encounter, because he would have never stopped persecuting the church. His goal was to wipe the church out, and he couldn't do it because what? Because Jesus revealed himself to him. Here's the thing. We cannot look at the facts surrounding the resurrection in these eyewitness accounts and remain neutral. Hear me. We either respond in faith and repentance in Jesus as the resurrected Savior or in disbelief and rejection of the gospel. It's one or the other. You can't be there and be neutral. Hear me. You cannot be there and be neutral. Third thing, say this after me. The resurrection is the source of true hope. Now is when we get excited because we're going to go through the rest of these verses. Let's read verse 20, I mean verse 12 through 21. It says, now if Christ is preached, hear this, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and our faith is empty. Hear me when I say that. Understand this. Every preacher on planet earth has to say this. Every preacher who has ever preached and will ever preach has to say what this verse says, that our preaching is what? It is worthless. Our preaching is empty. Our preaching is in vain. Our faith is in vain if Jesus is not raised up. We'll continue reading. He says, yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sin. Do you hear what Paul, Paul is like saying, look, if Jesus hasn't risen, y'all are still sin. Y'all are still in your sin. You're still bound in your sin. Then also, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since, for since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. In, in this life, now hear me when I say this, we put our hope in many things. And what did I say? The resurrection is the source of true hope. And in this life, we put our hope in a bunch of things. We put our hope in people. We put our hope in jobs. We put our, listen, you're going to, you're going to, right, right now, you're putting hope in that seat that it don't break. Hello. When you sat down, you put hope in that seat. When you walk out of here, you're going to put hope in your car that it's going to get you to point A to point B. It's going to get you that meal you're waiting on. No worries coming. Glory to God. You, 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 you put hope in stuff, right? You put hope in things that change, that are fickle, things that don't remain the same. But here's the beauty of it, of this. Our God does remain the same. Our God gives us, and the resurrection gives us a promise of this real hope. 
We put hope in, in a bunch of stuff. The resurrection of Jesus gives us firm hope and assurance that <clears throat> never fades and can never be changed. So the first thing we just read here through verses 12 through 21 is what do we find out there? It is the assurance of the forgiveness of our sins. When we look at the resurrection, the resurrection gives us an assurance of the forgiveness of our sins. Paul's like, look, if there's no resurrection, guess what? You're still in your sins. But because of the resurrection, you know what I'm assured of? I'm assured of forgiveness. I'm assured that I can be forgiven. I'm assured that I have forgiveness if I put my faith in Jesus Christ. The second thing that we look at, look at verse 22 through verse 28. It says here, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward, those who are Christ that is coming, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. For he has put all things under his feet. But when he, has, but when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is expected. Now when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him that God may be all in all. The second thing that we find here is assurance of complete victory over sin and death. So the first thing that we find is, you know what? Because of the resurrection, I am assured of forgiveness of sin. But then the second thing that we see the apostle Paul talking about here, and obviously I can't go through every single verse and break down every single thing here, but what I want you to realize is that toward the latter part of these verses here, God is talking about all authority that Jesus has and him submitting that authority unto God the Father. He's talking about this being God's work and what God is doing here. And so not only does God assure us that we'll be forgiven of sin, if we put our faith in Christ, but he assures us of complete victory over sin and death. Let's look at verse 29 to verse 34. It says, otherwise, what will they who are baptized for the dead if the dead do not rise at all? Why then are they baptized for the dead? Now let me just pause for a moment here because that, you know, is, is, is a little crazy. Like, you know, there were some people there. Some people think that there were some people who were being baptized in place of people who were dead. And that could have been the case. You know, there, there, there's no, no clarity on that. But here's the deal. The point was he was talking about this, pointing out to them saying, why would people even do something like that if there's no resurrection? If it doesn't matter in this life, if it doesn't matter after this life, if everything is done, right, when you're done, then there's no resurrection. There's no need for you to even worry about what's going to happen in the life to come. In verse 30, he says, and why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? I affirm by the boasting in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. If in the manner of men I have fought with the beast of, at Ephesus, what advantage is it to me if the dead do not rise? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness and do not sin, for some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak thus to your shame. Now let me, get, let, let, let me give you this, because the third thing here is that when we understand the resurrection, there is an assurance that we need to live for the glory of God. Are you here? You see, if there's no resurrection, if I'm going to breathe my last some point on this earth, and that is the end of my existence, then it doesn't matter what I do on this earth. Can I get an amen? If, I, if I'm not going to meet God, if I'm not going to go to heaven or hell, if I'm not going to experience anything eternal, nothing in this life matters. Are you here? But what Paul says is he's like, why is it that we're suffering, you know, every hour we're in jeopardy? He's talking about his life. Every hour they're, they're in the face of persecution. And he's saying, but look, he, he tells them, he makes it very clear, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. In other words, think about who it is you're hanging around. Hello, somebody. Think about who it is you're listening to. Think about who it is you're allowing to speak into your life. Think about what you are listening to. Think about what you're reading. Think about what it is that you're allowing because what happens is if you are having the wrong influences in your life, then you know what happens? You start to change. And it's not for the good. You start to change for the worse. And listen, I don't care how holy you think you are. I don't care how good you think you are. You continue to subject, your, subject yourself to the association of ungodly people without the intention of evangelism. Did you hear me? 
You continue to just hang out. You continue to just listen. I'm not talking about being out there among the lost and trying to witness to them and trying to minister to them and being a light that is shining. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you just hanging out. You just chilling. Everything is all right. You're listening to their conversation. You're letting them influence the way you think. If you do that, then what the Bible says, not Jason, what the Bible says is that your good habits will be changed. Bad company corrupts good habits. And look what he says to the point. He says, awake to righteousness. Why? He's saying, listen, you need to live for righteousness because the resurrection is a reality. You need to live for the glory of God. He says, awaken to righteousness and do not sin. In other words, don't think you can live how you want to live and it's going to be okay. It's not. We all are going to stand. We talked about this last week before our God. For some do not have the knowledge of God, I speak this to your shame. Here's the thing. Because these people weren't doing, you know, what they were supposed to be doing because they weren't living for the glory of God, people are walking around them and they have no knowledge of God. Can I ask you a question? How many people around you know God because of you? How many people around you know that there is a God because of the life you live? Let me tell you something. When you and I begin to live for righteousness, people are going to know about the God we serve. Or because it's going to open up conversations. When you're not running your mouth the way they are, guess what? They're going to wonder why. When you're not talking the way they talk, they're going to wonder why. When you're not looking at the things they're looking at, they're going to wonder why. When you're not participating in certain things, they're going to wonder why. And those are going to open up opportunities for conversations to be had. When you take a moment, and I know, and I know some of you have different feelings about what I'm about to say. When you take a moment to pray for your meal before lunchtime around somebody, guess what? That's going to impact someone. Hello. I had a funny story the other day. I don't remember who it was that was telling me this, but they were in a restaurant. They were praying for their food, and the waitress came over to them and was like, hey, are you okay? <laughs> and they were like, yeah, I'm just praying for my food. Was that you, Bernard, that told me that? That was Bernard that told me that story. And, and so, you know, he was like, the thing is, people are, you know, they're not used to that kind of stuff. They're not used to seeing people's faith be so out there. Hello. Listen, it's not a big deal to pray in public. I mean, you don't have to be like, you know, a Pharisee and stand up and say, Father God. I thank us thou for this food and this bounty that thou hast provided for. You know, I got to do all that, man. Just bow your head. Just say, thank you, Jesus. Right? Just say, thank you, God, for this food. Right? Don't be funny and flipping about it. But I'm just saying, right? But do people know God because of you? Verse 35 to 53. I told you we're going to move through these quick. But someone will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body that, that shall be but, but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some, other, or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases, and to each seed its own body. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of animals, another of fish, and another of birds. There are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies, but the glory of the celestial one and the glory of the terrestrial one is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For one star differs from another star's glory, star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown in a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was a life, was a living being the second the last Adam became a life-giving spirit however the spiritual is not first but the natural and afterward the spiritual the first man was of the earth made of dust the second man is the Lord from heaven and as was the man of the dust so also are those who are uh, who are made of dust and as is the heavenly man so also are those who are heavenly and as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Is that not encouraging? Now this, I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. 
nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will, will, will sound, and the dead will be raised it will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So what does this tell us? All of this stuff, right? Paul is doing it. Let me just give it to you in a nutshell. What he does, he's saying there's other smart people, because they're smart people, right? Smart people ask smart questions. Amen? Say amen, right? People who think, right? I mean, remember, we're not supposed to be fools. We're supposed to have faith. We're not supposed to be fools. So that means that we should, if we're going to have faith, we should ask good questions. And so they ask the question. They're like, well, well what does that look like, right? Like, how, how are you going to be resurrected? You know, they only know of this body right here. They're looking at that body, and that's what, and then Paul is like, well, listen, you don't, don't you know that what you sow is not what you reap, right? So if you're going to sow a tree, right, you're going to sow a rose bush, you're going to sow whatever, bananas. Do you sow a banana or do you sow some type of seed? Hello. Some type of seed, right? That's what happens. And then what happens is this thing starts to grow out that doesn't look like the seed that was put in the ground. And Paul is saying this is the same thing with our resurrected body. It's not the same. He said it like this. He said, the glory of this natural body is different than the glory of the heavenly body. The glory of the natural body is your six-pack abs. Hello. Or the lack thereof, right? Like that's the glory, right? The, you know, whatever it is, your glory is, right? That's the glory of this terrestrial body. This earthly body, there is one glory. Can I tell you something? In heaven, we're not going to be looking for six-pack abs. Hello. Somebody say amen to that. Glory to God. Food has no calories, glory to God. It's amazing. It tastes great. There's no, see, y'all Y'all get excited, right? Look, they got excited. You tell them no, no more tears. They're like, no amens, no more suffering, no amen. No more diets. Yes, glory to God. No more calories, amen. They got excited about that. You know why? That's the glory of the earthly body. Hello, somebody. That's the glory of this earthly body. And so the fact of the matter is, the, 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 the glorious body, he's promising. He's saying that there is a glorified body, and we will all say all. We will all be changed. We will all experience this power of transformation. All of us, and here, look, we read this last week. All of us are going to experience resurrection. Some, a resurrection to death and suffering. Others, a resurrection to life and glory. Hear me. Everyone's going to experience this celestial body. Just some of us are going to be suffering in a, in, in a place that we don't want to be. And others of us are going to be experiencing the glory and the wonder of who God is for all of eternity. So we have assurance of forgiveness of sin. We have assurance of complete victory over sin and death. We have an assurance that we need to live for the glory of God. We have assurance of a glorified, resurrected, eternal body. And look at verse 54 to 57 here. It says here, so when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So I said, I said this, assurance of forgiveness of sin, assurance of complete victory over sin and death. That's here. That's now. Assurance that we need to live for the glory of God and, 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 and assurance of a glorified, resurrected, eternal body. But this last portion here is assurance of not just complete, but final victory over sin and death. It's not just complete because that's complete. That's something that God does that we can experience now. But it's final. There comes a time where it's going to be final. Where you know what? We're no longer worried about anything because you know what? Death has no more sting. The power of sin, no longer. We're no longer affected by it. You know when that happens? When we put on this glorified body. When we put on this glorified body. And the last thing that I'll say here, look at verse 58. See, we're already at 58 verses. Y'all are amazed, right? It's like 21 minutes, glory to God. We got to like 25 verses. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. This is my verse of the year. This is my verse. This is my, this is my 2016 verse. Hello. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. See, a lot of times we think that I'm serving God and it's in vain. I want you to know it's not in vain. 
You see, the resurrection assures me that my labor is not in vain. The resurrection assures me that my works toward righteousness, my works toward bringing glory to God, my works toward sanctification, that assures me that, hey, it's not in vain. See, because there's moments that it feels like it's in vain. Hello? You know, you have those, I mean, come on now, let's be for real. You have those moments where it seems like, man, I've been praying forever for the same thing over and over. You feel like you're on a hamster wheel of prayer. Hello. You're like running, you're getting fatigued, hamster wheel's breaking, you're getting a new hamster wheel. Hello. Right. And you just feel like, man, I've been praying about this, but I'm not seeing results. You know, I've been trying to live right, but I'm not seeing change. I've been trying to be in the word of God. I've been trying to apply the scriptures. And I want you to know your labor is not in vain when it is in the Lord. He says, be steadfast. See, so here's the thing. For the group of people in here that don't know Jesus, I hope that you'll come to faith today. I hope that today you will trust Christ, that you will realize that you are separated from him and that you need him desperately. And I want you to know that he is here calling to you with his love, with his grace, with his mercy, saying, trust me, put your faith in me, hope in me, give your life to me based on the resurrection fact. Amen. But see, there are other people in this room, you know what, you believe in Jesus. You're walking with Jesus. And I want to encourage you that the resurrection is not just to bring people to faith in Christ. It's to keep you with your faith in Christ. It's to keep you steadfast. It's to keep you standing firm. It's to keep you immovable. And that way you're not wavering to the left or wavering to the right, but that you continue on walking by faith with your God until you see him in that resurrected and glorified state. See, here's the deal. My question is this, my closing question. Have you put your hope in the fact of the resurrection? That's my closing question. Have you put your hope in the fact of the resurrection? Have you said, God, yes. See, here's it again. You're in this place and you either know him or you don't. But here's, here's the deal. If you know him, is your hope in the fact of the resurrection or is your hope in something else? Is your hope in, well, I hope things get better at some point. Listen, I wish that I had some kind of magic wand. You know, today we were praying for Lizelle's mom. Lizelle's mom came from Honduras. How long ago did she come from Honduras? December 12th. They thought she had some kind of lung issue, right? That's what it was. Thought it was some kind of lung issue. Ended up being that she was here for a couple of weeks, so she had a heart attack. After she had a heart attack, she ended up in the hospital. A few weeks later, she's deaf. She can't hear anything, literally deaf. She's, I mean, she's going, I'm not going to give you every single detail, but what I want you to know is that they just told her the last report was that, well, actually, she had to go to ICU because her lungs were filled with fluid, so they were having to, you know, do stuff to drain her lungs. She's going through all of this. Then the last thing they told her was that now one of her kidneys is failing, so she's potentially going to have to take dialysis. Now listen, I just want you to know that I, that I firmly believe and I prayed and I continue to pray for her, for God to heal her. There is no question in my mind that this woman is going through an, a battle against the enemy. And so listen, remember her in your prayers. Pray hard for her. Pray like you're the one who's laying in the hospital bed. Pray like you're the one who can't hear. Pray like you're the one who can't get up, who can't walk. Pray like you're that one. That's, that's intercession, right? But here's the thing. I have faith that God is going to do something miraculous in her life. But can I tell you something? I have no guarantee of what God's going to do. And I'm not talking, I'm using her as an example. My point is, I wish I had a magic wand. I could say, poof, gone. I wish I could do that over all the, li all the lives of anyone that's suffering, of anybody that's going through hardship. I wish I could do that, but I can't. But you know what I can tell you? Is that there's a resurrection reality. And there is coming a day where there's no more dialysis. There's coming a day where there's no more suffering. I know y'all got excited about no more diets. There's coming a day when there are no more tears, where there's no more heartbreak. But I want you to know something. Not only is that day coming, but there is a Savior that is here today that promises to walk with you through whatever you go through. He promises to walk with you every step of the way. He promises to give you hope even in the midst of hopelessness. He promises to give you strength. And you know what? You may not feel it right away, but he promises that. He promises the resurrection assures us that he is with us. The question is, have you put your faith in the resurrection fact? Believer or non-believer, have you put your faith there? So I stand to our feet, let's bow our heads. Now listen, if you're in this place today, 
you do not know Jesus, I want to say this. This is like the third time that I've said this. Today is an opportunity for you to surrender your life to Jesus. If you're in this place, you're not walking with him, you haven't put your trust in him, today's an opportunity for you to do that. Today's an opportunity for you to say, God, here I am. I surrender my life to you. If that's you in this place today, I definitely want to pray with you. I want to pray for you. And so I'm going to open up this altar for a little while. If there's anybody in here who does not know Jesus and you say, I want to commit my life to Jesus on this day. I want to make a commitment to Christ. If you want to do that, I want to pray with you. And if you're in this place and you're a believer and you are struggling in your faith, whatever it is, you're struggling. You're, you, I mean, you are just going through it right now and you're just saying, God, I want to hope in this resurrection. I want to be steadfast. I want to be immovable. I want to abound in the work of the Lord. But God, I'm struggling with that. I want to pray for you as well. And so I just want to open, open up the altar. I'm going to pray. And as I pray, if you want to come forward, if you want to make a commitment to Christ, if, if you need prayer in this place, I'm going to ask the leaders to come forward as well so we can pray for some people today on this Resurrection Sunday. Heavenly Father, your word has been preached. Your gospel has been declared, God. You say that it is the power of God unto salvation to those who will believe. And I pray today, Lord, that you would draw hearts to you. That there would be people who would put their faith in you today, that they would trust you for salvation, that they would trust you for strength. I pray that you, Heavenly Father, do the work in the hearts that need to be done. In Jesus' great name. So I'm going to wait up here. The altar's open for anybody who needs prayer today. If you want to make a commitment to Christ, come forward. Don't worry about the person to your left or to your right. If you need prayer today, you're struggling in your faith, don't be embarrassed. Come forward. Let us pray with you. Hallelujah, God. We worship you in this place. We worship you in this place worship you in this place. God, you're a great God. God, you're a great God. God, you're a great God. Hallelujah, Jesus. He's worthy. Grab your neighbor's hand. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you see the hearts of our brothers and our sisters in this place. Father, you see the hurts that are there with some of them, Lord God. You see the areas that they need strength, they need peace. And I pray that you would just strengthen the lives of my brothers, my sisters, that you fill them with your grace and your power, my God. Father, I ask you today to glorify yourself in each and every life in here. I pray for those who may not have responded to you today, Lord God, who desperately need you. Lord God, may they come to know the magnitude of your love. May they come to know the magnitude of your mercy. Your word says that your goodness turns us to repentance, my God. And so, Lord, I pray that they would know your goodness, Lord God, that they would know that you could pour wrath, but you don't, my Lord, that you could judge, but you have not done so yet, that you have been merciful we don't deserve mercy and that they would be turned to you my God Father I pray for my brothers and my sisters my Lord that may be going through trials that are going through difficulty in their faith my God where they are being tested Lord I pray that you would fill them with the assurance of your resurrection that Lord that they would be steadfast that they would be immovable that they would be abounding in the work of the Lord knowing that their labor is not in vain in the Lord in Jesus great name Someone said, come on, give God a hand of praise. He's worthy.